All right, everybody. Hello. Hello, Internet. Mike and Andy here at the uh, Brea World Headquarters of Vox. Um, it is a, uh, it's a sunny day and um, shocking. <laughs> I guess that doesn't really lower it down much. Um, but we are so excited to, uh, to be with you and are always grateful. A uh, few housekeeping things. First of all, thank you for those that came to the live show. Oh, yeah. We had such a great time. Um, we, we, we went a little too long, so we're going to shorten that up uh, or leave more room for Q&A probably. Yeah. Um, we're also, so we have another live show coming up April 20th in Placentia. Yes. And Andy's going to uh, send out RSVPs and, and all that stuff. And, and we're going to try a couple of new things um, about, uh, about how we do the show. So it'll be a different show than what we've done uh-huh. before. Yep. Um, also we're, we're starting to do, um, after we get done recording the podcast, we're actually going to start doing questions that we get from people that aren't worthy of a whole podcast episode, but we get so many that we thought we'd do them on Facebook uh, yeah. live and then put them as part of the podcast stream. Right. So it'll, it could be one question. It could be three questions that we just are kind of doing real quick snippets, like t- under 10 minutes uh, of stuff. So if you want to participate in that, just keep your eyes peeled. Mm-hmm. We're not going to shoot those out uh, other than just you know have them sit on Facebook or whatever yeah. um, and add them to our feed. Right. Um, Patreon, um, again, if you, if you want to support us and, and want to be a part of uh, the Vox family. We have different levels. Uh, for those of you waiting for the Revelation podcast, it's getting there. It is so immense. And every every like every like shocking thing I was like ready to shock you with, I learned more about. And I'm like, oh, dang, that's a whole podcast. That's a whole podcast. That's a whole podcast. <laughs> so, so it's coming. Um, uh, and then um, if uh, so, if you want to support us, great. Uh, we are we are just so thrilled that so many have. Um, we were able to put this live show on. Um, we're able to have equipment, and we're able to you know do all kinds of things uh, because of that. So uh, we have two podcasts: this one and the church one. If you're ever in uh, North Orange County, please stop by on a Sunday morning. If you don't have another place to go, at El Dorado High School, nine and eleven. And then, is there anything else uh, housekeeping wise? I'm forgetting. Um, no. Okay. No, we're doing good. Yep, Vox Podcast. Things are flowing. Things are happening. We are thrilled to be a part of uh, of of what it, what's going on in the world and what God's doing with you. Um, and we always love hearing from you. So uh, today, we're we we never want to be a show that promotes. So there there are those shows, the podcast shows that are d- pure promotion. So it's when people like instead of doing talk shows, people will now do podcasts. You know, <laughs> yeah. so it's like hey, I've got a book coming out and. And here, you know, so let me talk about the book and, 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 and really popular podcasts do this. And that's just fine. That's not going to be, that's not us. When we interview somebody who's got a book, it's because we are in relationship with them or the book is so life changing, you know, that it's like, oh my goodness, we have to talk to this person. Right. So, um, please understand our, our goal in this podcast isn't to sell stuff. Um, our goal isn't to promote things. Our goal is to get um, a community of people gathered around a central set of ideas and introduce some outside voices who represent those out, outside, you know, who represent those core ideas very well. So Heather Avis, you know, in the in the disability advocacy space is somebody that uh, we love and, and obviously we relate to. The guy mm-hmm. we're going to interview today uh, is a friend of mine who's been a friend for years 
um, who has a book out on uh, God's character, but deals with some of the stuff we always get asked about in the podcast, which is how you reconcile Jesus with the angry God of the Old Testament. And so um, I wanted to interview him because he spent some time on this in his book. Uh, his name is John Mark Comer. Um, he is a pastor up in Portland, Oregon. Um, several just incredible churches uh, that are going on up there. But he, um, he pastors a church called Bridgetown. Young guy, hip guy. Um, so he and I hit it off, obviously. Naturally. And are, are best friends. Um, but he's written a book called God Has a Name. And, um, and, and it explores, it explores some uh, Old Testament tension, you know, God being slow to anger. What's that mean? God being jealous. What's that mean? When it says that God punishes the children to the third and fourth generation, what does that mean? Is that, you know, and, and how do you reconcile that with the picture of God we get in Jesus? So, uh, definitely a guy we want you to know and a topic we thought was relevant. So, um, so enjoy this. He was, uh, he was just coming back from South Africa and was jet lagged and sick, uh, and yet still, you know, incredibly passionate and articulate. Mm -hmm. He's a huge lover of Star Wars, as am I. So we geek out towards the end. Forgive us, uh, for those of you non-fans, uh, but that's, we waited till the very end of the episode to do that. So we <laughs> hope you, we hope you enjoy. Ladies and gentlemen, live from the sunny, beautiful city of Portland, Oregon, I introduce you to my dear friend, my uh, my companion and, and and mentor in things of Star Wars. Um, it, it is true that the student has become the master uh, in our in our in our friendship. My friend John Mark Comer. Hello, John Mark. Good morning. Hey man, great to see you. Great to Hear see you. you. We are Be with you. We are um, communicating via Skype, and so I have a nice. Uh, large, very handsome face looking at me, which is different than when I record with Andy. And um, and so, opposed to a small brown head. Fight back, right there. Fight back. And uh, and uh, anyway, um, so John Mark's a guy that uh, has been a friend for years. Has we've done events together. We've done all sorts of things together. And uh, I'm not a big, you know, promoter of of books, but John Mark's written, written several really good ones. And, um, and, and there's one in particular I want to talk about today, not so much about the book, but kind of, um, uh, where you go with some very common questions. So the book's called God has a name. And I think it's coming out, uh, at the end of this month, right? End of March, 2017. Is that right? Tuesday. Yeah. Tuesday. This coming hey. Tuesday. Hey, so this plays on Monday, right? Yep. So yep. tomorrow, uh, this thing will be out, and um, and it's interesting because it it it's it's a study of what God is like, but it's done through a uh, an Old Testament and Jesus lens, um, using a, a verse that um, you know isn't very often talked about, although it's the 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 thing that God uses to describe Himself more often than not. Correct. Right. You, so what's the what's the verse? You you have yeah, it memorized now. 34, 6, and 7, which is, if you know the story, Moses is up on Mount Sinai. Moses has that kind of famous prayer, show me your glory. God basically says no or yes, depending on how you read the story. And he says, I will <laughs> proclaim my name. And then we read that God passed in front of him and proclaimed his name, Yahweh, Yahweh, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands and forgiving wickedness, rebellion, and sin. Yet he does not leave the guilty unpunished. He punishes the children and their children 
for the sin of the parents for the third and fourth generation. So that line right there is, depending on who you read, the most quoted verse in the Bible by the Bible. Meaning the writers of the Bible, in particular the Hebrew Bible, what we call the Old Testament, circle back to that verse more than pretty much anything else, more than the Shema, Deuteronomy 6, more than any psalm, and quote it and allude to it and complain about it and sing it and argue about it and (laughs) wrestle with God over it more than really any other line in the Bible, which is fascinating because in kind of, I don't know, Protestant, evangelical, American church, right. most people either don't even know it, like, nope. oh, yeah, I, think I read that one time. But in Jewish culture, this is essentially like the John 3.16 yes. or something. Yes. You know, it's central to a vision of God. And one of the reasons I love it was just because it's a relational view of God rather than a systematic theology yes. kind of view of God. So, so and that goes into the title, uh, God has a name. Yeah. So what's the significance of, of God having a name? And was that common in the ancient Near East? Or how was it different with Yahweh as opposed to the other uh, divinities of the day? Right. Well, there's a lot there. I mean, I think the fact that God has a name and that it's not God, it's Yahweh <laughs> in Hebrew, or it's usually translated the Lord in English, which I actually don't think is a great move. Maybe I'm wrong there, but I don't think that's a great move because the Lord is a title, not yeah. a name. Yeah. So calling God the Lord is like calling Tammy, you know, the wife or calling Andy, <laughs> like, I don't know, the producer or something the, like the, that. The suitable helper. That's right. It's not, it's not the language of intimacy. Yeah. It's what a stranger yeah. calls another stranger. It's not what a husband calls a wife or a father calls a son that's or good. a friend calls another best friend. And so I think there's something in us, even in that translation from Yahweh to the Lord, from a name to a title, that is scared for all the talk about, uh, you know, the cliche of personal relationship with Jesus. I think we're actually scared of intimacy with God, at least with the real true God, not Mm. the one that we make up in our mind and imagination. So the idea that God has a name is actually, I think, not just semantics. I think it's one of the most key ideas in the Bible, Mm. because it means that God is a person. By person, I don't mean a human being. I mean a relational being, a relational entity, not an idea in a systematic theology textbook or a doctrine right. in a basic Christianity course right. or, you know, this, con- this the force kind of energy concept out in the universe. God is a person who wants to relate to you and to me. And I just love this idea of a relational view of who God is. Yes. Yeah. And, and there's a trade-off in that relational view because what you have it, and, and we have obviously no problem with compassionate and forgiving and yeah. merciful. And then you go straight into and yet punishing the children to, uh, to the yes. third or fourth generation. And yet yeah. sinners are not going punished. And, and so um, and you take you take this sort of head on. So let's talk about the angry God yeah. of the Old Testament yeah. and uh, and how you reconcile that God with Jesus. So um, as you as you kind of go through that verse. It, it, it starts, of course, um, with Yahweh, Yahweh, compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, which yeah. he doesn't seem slow to anger. Um, you know, you've got you've got the poor dude that the, the Ark of the Covenant's tipping over and the guy just reaches right. out and is zaps. Uh, yeah. um, you've got <laughs> uh, you've got Korah's rebellion where the ground swallows up. You've got you've got Ananias Simple. and Sapphira. Yeah. Um, you know, where they fall down dead because they were lying um, or at least deceiving about uh, what they really received from selling this land. So, so what's... And the great one about that one is that's in the New Testament. Right, exa- well, exactly. Right after the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. So the angry, you know, God of the Old Testament and the 
hippie, bohemian, progressive of the new, like you're off to problems right right away. A few right. chapters of the story. Yeah, exactly right. Exactly right. So, um, so when we say he's slow to anger, what's that mean? Yeah, I mean, I think. So obviously slow to anger is this really cool like Hebrew euphemism, more literally. Um, the translation would be it's long of nostrils, which is a Hebrew <laughs> word picture that we don't have. I, in English. I just think it's so cool. So <laughs> what the Greek, what the Hebrew actually says is that God is long of nostrils. So if you think about the word picture, if somebody is, you know, quick to anger, if they have a temper, if they fly off the handle, then they quickly just flare out their nose and, you know, unload on the victim or the object of wrath. But if somebody is slow to anger, then you take a deep breath, you breathe in through your nose, you close your mouth, and then you exhale. I'm and so that's right the now. imagery, is that God doesn't fly off the handle, he's slow. He's, his, his anger, which is very much real, is, is a deliberate, on-purpose, just anger that comes out of his passionate evil, passionate antagonism against evil in all its forms. Right, right. So how... how... How how do you reconcile the because he doesn't seem slow to anger by our yeah. estimations of slowness. So I, I love the word picture, but it's kind of like and again, I'm I mean, I'm with you on how cool God is. But yeah. I, I'm more thinking of, you know, the, the person that's like, well, I'm reading my one year Bible and I'm like, he seems pretty pissed a, a lot. <laughs> yeah. And really fast. And yeah. really and, fast. And pretty quick. <laughs> right. Yeah. Well, I mean, I, I, I that's a complex question. I do think that one of the major mistakes we make with the Bible is we jump in, we read a story, we agree with it, disagree with it, like it, hate it, and then we jump back out rather than reading the story in context. So yeah. I just finished you know, reading Numbers this morning, and I've been reading through Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, which is where you get a number of those stories. Yes, you just, exactly. You cringe, and you're like, wait, that, I can't. <laughs> no, come on. Torah? I mean, I know they were lame, but that, but I think... If you actually read the story in context and you remember that there's a lot of time that goes between these stories, so we often jump from one chapter to the next and we forget there's a decade in between or something like that, yeah, that actually there is this incredible patience of God on display with Israel, who is, by his, in his language, a stiff-necked people. I mean, these are some obstinate, rebellious I mean, they really are pretty lame, and we're so much better than they are. We just wouldn't. <laughs> well, I, know, I know, seriously, it's so <laughs> nice. Make where God does something miraculous, and then two days later we're complaining because we don't like bread. No and way. No the way. Miracle from heaven is just boring now, and you know, and we don't know if we really believe and trust God to lead us into the future because it's not <laughs> happening as fast as we want. So we've evolved now, and we're enlightened, and we have education and Wikipedia, so we're a lot better than those people. That's right. <laughs> but those people were pretty dang messed up. And if you look at their <laughs> ongoing rebellion toward God and obstinate heart posture toward God and lack of faith and just willful disobedience, I, I do actually think that the language of slow to anger does capture God's relationship with Israel. But slow to anger has to be tempered by the reality that God is also just, you know? He's merciful and he's just. And there is a tension there, absolutely. A tension that I don't think we see resolved really until Jesus. Hmm. But in that tension, it's really easy to pick a side and to think of God as all mercy or God as all justice. And there is a tension there that we just have to live in, which even in that language, slow to anger, does capture. On one hand, it's saying that God is slow to anger, but on the other hand, it's saying that God is slow to anger. Yeah. I think in the ancient world where the the default view of deity was this angry, capricious, you know, malevolent entity in the sky ready to fly off a handle the second you messed up your dead goat sacrifice. Right. That needed to be said. But I just feel like in the in the modern world, in particular, 
and kind of West Coast progressive, educated, secular, post-Christian world that we are more and more living in, whether you're in a city like Portland or just have access to Wi-Fi. I think that the other side of that is what needs to be said, like slowed to anger, because our problem isn't that we think God is this jerk in the sky, it's that we've kind of erased the anger of God altogether and come up with a new progressive vision of God who's never angry at all and who's just, you know, cool, whatever, and really chill and really laid back and goes right along with the progressive vision of the world and doesn't bat an eye and agrees with you and everything and so on and so forth. So, so why is God's anger good news? And because God's anger is born out of his love and it's born out of his passionate pursuit to eradicate all evil from the world. So deep in us, whether you're a follower of Jesus or not, whether you're a conservative, progressive, wherever you're on that spectrum, all of us, I think, ache for a world that is set free from injustice and death and war and famine and politics right now. And uh, <laughs> I was just in South Africa. I mean, the gap between rich and poor is the highest economic disparity oh, yeah. in the world. Hmm. So you're literally driving through a neighborhood that's nicer than Beverly Hills. And five minutes later, there's, you know, two million people living in a I think the PC term now is high density area or township or shantytown or whatever. Right. And like there's a part of us, I don't care who you are, how callous you are, something in you says that is not right. Yeah. And that needs to change that disparity, whether it's economic or violence or the breakdown of the family or the political sphere, or the toxic environment of the world. There's a deep part of us that is just I think we ache for a world set free from that evil. Yeah. And God's wrath is working toward that end, toward the complete and total eradication of evil and entropy and death and disease from our world. And so yep. that's why I think it's good news. And that's why we think we actually crave the wrath of God. People say, I can't believe in a God who, you know, whatever, who would do this or would kill people. I say, I know actually you can. Every time you read a story about injustice, every time you read about rape, every time you read about poverty, every time you read about another Ponzi scheme or lying in Washington, DC, something in you says that needs to change. Like right. that needs right. to go. That's not right. That's Somebody right, needs right. to do something about that. Well, even so in like God is great news because that means that God will is and will do something about it. Sure. If like, because if if Hollywood movies that weren't so violent and showed this great picture of justice weren't so popular, then it'd be easy to say that. But clearly, like deep inside of us, we love to see the return of wrath and violence and justice played out through like all of that dynamic and all of that kind of energy. Like we really. Oh, Otherwise, yeah. those movies wouldn't be so popular if we were so like, well, I don't really, no, no. I don't really feel that way. How many crime yeah. shows? How many? Yeah. So, so you've said a couple things. I just want to reiterate. One is, we read the Old Testament as if it were all happening at the same time, yeah. and there were no respecter of timeline, geography. What else is happening? Culture, in the world? context, yes. how violent and barbaric the world at the time right, was. Right. This is so, not, you know, San Francisco or LA <laughs> or Portland. This is not. Yeah, and and, and, and we different. don't and we don't realize we're getting we're getting episodes out of a yes. much bigger historical picture. So we just we just cram it together and say, well, you know, God is kind of a fly off the handle sort of God. Um, you know, why would He command genocide? um of uh of the canaanites and you know there's a backstory yeah. to all of that so so yeah. I, I love that um and and you know we are very much proponents of the fact that it would be more immoral of god to be indifferent to human yeah. suffering yeah. And, and rape and genocide than it would be for god to be offended and that our offense is a reflection of our image bearingness yes um, so totally, totally. And, you know, and you've done great work, Mike, on the difference between like classic tolerance and modern tolerance. Classic tolerance, you know, was this evolutionary idea that we can disagree and not kill each other. And I'm all for classic tolerance. I think yes. God is all for classic tolerance. Yes. 
modern tolerance has evolved far past that right. to the idea that any kind of disagreement with the party line is bigotry, it's hatred, that right. to disagree with each other is to hate each other. Right. And that is, first off, that's nonsensical. Like right. no thinking person can actually hold that view. And it's actually toxic because it was the that's Ellie right. Weisel quote, you know, that love is not indifference. That's and right. so I think that the modern tolerance movement right. is dangerously close to apathy and indifference. And the reality is that nobody actually believes it. There, we all have a line. At some point, we right. say that's wrong. Right. And we, we stop saying what's good for you is what's good, is good for you and who am I judge. At some point, whether it's pedophilia or murder or war, it's, we all have a line. We just yeah. disagree about where to draw the line yep, right. and, and what the authority over the line is. So but at the end of the day, we all have a line where we that's say, right. okay, no, this is right. This is wrong, and something needs to be done about this wrongness. That's right. That's right. And and the promise of the scriptures is that in Jesus that has begun, and it yes. will be completed, and all of yeah. those sorts of things. But uh, I do think that. Well, go ahead. No, go. I was just going to say. I mean, I do think one of the things that I'm trying to deal with in the book at kind of a macro level is just the tension between the Old Testament and the New Testament, yep, of and the caricature that I think is way blown out of proportion of Yahweh as the angry, old, malevolent yes. deity in the yes. sky in the Old Testament. And Jesus is like the nice, you know, liberal kid that went off to Berkeley and came back home with all sorts of radical ideas about grace. <laughs> said, Come on, Daddy, let's not kill everybody. How about I die for them instead? Right. And I just think that caricature is, is not only wrong, but it's dangerous and it's toxic. And I think when you actually read the Bible and when you read it as a story and as a library and from start to finish, you discover that first off, the God of the Old Testament, whatever that phrase means, is far more merciful than any of us imagine. That for every one of those stories about God killing somebody, there are countless more stories about mercy and compassion and a second chance and freedom and all of that. And then you discover that Jesus in the new is not the tolerant, educated, progressive, you know, bohemian that a, people, a lot of people <laughs> want him to be. Jesus says more about judgment and wrath than any other teacher in the New Testament, a huge chunk of the four gospels are about the day of the Lord and what's coming on the horizon and warning and the gospel itself and Jesus definition is, you know, the kingdom of God is at near. So repent and believe the good news. And even in Jesus, I, so I think when you actually read about Yahweh and about Jesus that I believe to be the embodiment of Yahweh, there is still a tension, but I think there's a far greater continuity than most of us think. And that, I think, of course, comes back to another macro issue, and that is, I think, how we think about the Bible in the West is seriously wrong. Yes, yeah. and, and that's where, yes. Serious, it's seriously wrong, and, um, and, I, and I mean that for both the conservative and the progressive side. I think that the conservative kind of default take in Amer the American church or whatever on what the Bible is is flawed. They don't actually treat the Bible the way that it treats itself. And I think it's a crisis of faith waiting to happen. And it's easy prey for the progressive kind of liberal reinterpretation of the Bible, which I disagree with and think is just as dangerous, but it's easy prey for that, whoever the author or teacher or writer is to come along, pick the conservative view to pieces, and then you're left in the dust. And I think the, the reality is that the Bible is a library, it's not a book, and it is a divine and a human word. It's scripture, but it's also literature. And we have to read it that way and live in that kind of third way forward, which is what you guys are doing and what this podcast is doing and what we agree on. Have you have you listened to the Vox podcast, my friend? 
Yeah, there was at one time I was just really bored. And <laughs> I had insomnia. We're, we're, we're finding that we're a great it pres- was, prescription for insomnia. It was, it was between watching football and listening <laughs> to a Vox podcast. You know what? You know what Portland needs? Yes, Portland I, needs a hockey team. That's I. I feel like it's a hockey team. So Portland goes in for the Timbers. Right? I, know, oh, I know. I know. I know. I know. I, next time I come up, whenever you, whenever you'll have me, I want to go to a Timbers game. Oh, you should. And they play a lot on Sunday nights. Uh, oh, and perfect. Four blocks from our church building, and it's just mayhem on a Timbers oh. game night. It's oh, just... I love it. Can I wear a kilt? I mean, no, no. Well, it's Portland, so no one. You're would welcome care. to, and you'll fit right in. But I, I'm not gonna. I'm not sure how much we'll hang out. You know? <laughs> well, no, I'll hang Actually, out. Yeah. Can you preach in a kilt? <laughs> and then, you know, like a Buckeyes jersey on the yes. Because here's the fun story. This is absolute tangent. So, yes, I listen to the Vox podcast. And for those of you listening, Mike uh, is downplaying his role in my life. Mike was nope. my teaching mentor for years, played a key role in my life. So the first time I ever met Mike, I don't know if you know this. I don't, I don't think we even met. First time I ever saw you. I'd never heard of you. This was maybe, gosh, I don't know, at least 10 years ago, probably longer, you know, 12 or 13 years ago. My sister was living down in Orange County. And I came down to visit her, go to Disneyland, do that. <laughs> yep. And it was over a weekend. And she said, I'm going to this new church. Incredible. You need to come. You need to come. This teacher is amazing. You need to come. And I'd never heard of you. never heard of it. was Rock Harbor with the name of the church. So I'm like, all right, I'm on vacation. Do I still have to go to church? And it was, you know, <laughs> early 2000s. People still did that. So I go to church. And it was Mother's Day. And you were wearing a suit. <laughs> uh, oh, one suit day. Oh, my Lord. That you, I somebody know. was dying, and you were wearing a suit, <laughs> and you were just sweating. Oh and I yeah. Just were up there in this just oh, it's terribly awful. unfashionable suit. Yep. With a giant white towel. <laughs> oh, we still the towel is still still forehead. present. And it was one of the best teachings I've oh, ever. Oh, dude. In my whole life, it's on Mary, it's on Martha. I still remember it, and Aww. it was a tiny moment in my life because you were doing what I was trying to do badly, you were doing it well. Oh my goodness. And you were paving the way for, I think, a third way forward that transcends the liberal conservative divide that reads the Bible as scripture and literature. Oh. And you're doing what you do now and you were doing it so well and it, it shaped me. Oh, I love you, dude. That's so funny. That, that's awesome. And, and I'm downplaying how incredibly um, gifted John Mark is. Um, his podcast is just uh, his teachings and it's, it's uh, ahead of ours and the, uh, the top 200 religion and spirituality. I mean, just his Bible teaching is amazing. But the thing that's interesting about John Mark is this is a guy who's got all the creativity of a, a guy like Rabel and, and who is, is, um, uh, yet, at the same time, just absolutely Jesus loving. I mean, the stuff I, I want to have you on again to talk about the stuff you're doing now in your community, which is, I just yeah. think it's, it's wonderful. Um, but I want to, before we let you go, I have a couple other questions. Uh, when we talk about God punishing the generation, so you, you've got yeah. slow to anger, which we've talked yep. about and then punishing, um, uh, the, he, he does not leave the guilty and punish. So that's all of us. So we, we hate that of course, but then the, the whole punishing the children, um, for the sin of their parents, uh, how does that, how does that fit? What do you, how do you, how do you put that together? 
Yeah, that's actually one of my favorite, if not my favorite lines in that verse. So first you have to read it after the line, forgiving wickedness, rebellion, and sin. So yep. God is forgiving. Notice it doesn't say he is a punisher. It says right. he punishes. There's a difference there between like a character trait and an outflow of that character trait. So his character trait is he is forgiving. He doesn't just forgive. He by nature is forgiving. That's yep. who he is. Wickedness, rebellion, and sin, meaning shapes, sins of all shapes and sizes. But then there's the yet or the but. Yep. He does not leave the guilty unpunished. And that's a way of saying he's forgiving, but he's also just. Right. He's not just, you know, oh, cool, boys will be boys. Don't worry about Hitler. Like, right. we're all good. Tolerance, you know. And that's not the hope of the gospel, that Holocaust survivors will stand next to Hitler forever or that an abused woman will stand next to her rapist of a husband forever and ever. That's not the hope of the gospel. Right. It's right. that one day God will eradicate all evil out of this world and we will live forever with him in a world that's finally made right. So there's, so that's the, that's the tension there. It's basically saying God is forgiving, but he's also just. But even then, I absolutely love that line. So it can't mean what it means at a face value reading, that's right. that God goes off on your grandkids for something you did in 1943, because Moses says the exact opposite. <laughs> God himself says the exact opposite, right in the yes. same book, right, right in the, in the same. and yep. all through the Old Testament. So yep. Yep. there's something about our English translation and the way we read it that we're missing something. So I think, like most of the Bible, there are layers to that line. Yep. The first, most obvious axiomatic layer is that the, the sins of the parents have consequences for the children's future. Yes. So you know this as a dad, I know this as a dad. Sins that I live into one time or habitual, they shape my children in ways that will last for years, if not for decades. Right. Obvious example is if you know I go off and start a meth lab in my free time just to help pay mortgage on the side of my pastor salary or whatever, and I go a little breaking bad or whatever, and I'm caught by the police and I'm put into jail, my kids will suffer the consequences. My kids will end up in the foster care system without a mom, without a dad, and like, and they will suffer the consequences for my sins. So it's pretty obvious, pretty straightforward. I think that's the base level meaning. I think the layer kind of below that is that sin, you know, like your DNA, like the color of your eyes, like the color of your skin, it's passed down from father to son. And so I think I have a really robust and I think healthy view of generational sin. The fact that sins often are passed down from father to son, mm. from mother to daughter, from one generation to the next. And there's something that God is after where he wants to set you free from sins that go back generations. And some of us just can't escape our family name. Some yeah. of us just can't escape our past. We're still stuck in patterns that we inherited from our family of origin, from our culture that go back often for generations, even if we're blind and oblivious to it, patterns that are toxic, that are unhealthy, that are destructive to us, people we love, the world that we call home. And I think God has a, a ruthless and relentless commitment to set us free from those sins. Yeah. And I think there's actually good news that just because dad, you know, God punished granddaddy for his sin, He'll still punish your dad for the same sin. He'll still punish you for the same sin, not out of, out of you know, anger or smite, but to eradicate evil out of your family line. But then I think that the deepest layer where you really hit bedrock, and that is my favorite idea, is that God is saying something really cool here. So, and it's lost in translation into English, but that word generation to the third and fourth generation is not actually there in the Hebrew. And it was added by the translators, not just for the sake of it, but because 
they had to make sense of an awkward Hebrew idiom that's to the third and the fourth, hmm. which we don't have any equivalent for that in English. Huh. And it basically meant just for a little while. So you'd say to the third or the fourth, and that was just kind of saying, you know, for a little while. Huh. So a lot of scholars point out that Exodus 34, 6, and 7 is this like kind of poetic, it has a rhythm and a rhyme to it. And that whatever comes after that phrase, two thousands, should also come after the phrase to the third and the fourth. Hmm. So it should be translated either showing mercy to thousands of generations and punishing children to the third and fourth generation, right. or it should be translated showing mercy to thousands and punishing to the third and the fourth. So if you think about the word picture, on one side you have thousands, on the other side you have three or four. So if you imagine like a scale in your mind's eye, I think of like Lady Justice in Washington, D.C., you know, who's blind, or at least justice used to be blind in our country. But um, if you think about that scale, instead of it kind of being just one's an inch or two above the other, think of it freighted to one side. There's a thousand weights on one side, right. three and four on the other. And the imagery is that in that tension between mercy and justice, which is a legitimate real tension all through the Bible, particularly in the Old Testament, I don't want to downplay too much. The violence in the Old Testament, the judgment, the tension that we live in, how is there mercy and justice at the same time? But in that tension, it's freighted to the side of mercy. Mm. So God shows mercy to thousands and punishing to the third and the fourth. And so I think that's the imagery of God, that when mercy bumps up against judgment, nine times out of ten, mercy wins. Right. Mm. Nice. <clears throat> and is that, were you going to say something? I'll just say I love that because I, I think what we're saying is, if I'm understanding you correctly, is that the mistake is we read into the minority, you know, that like we would argue that, well, it seems like God is constantly angry, constantly doing this, constantly doing that. But if we're really right. looking at what scripture says, the overwhelming majority of it says his mercy is overwhelming mercy. compared yeah. to, you know, his anger. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Yeah. And if you were to, and if you were to take to John Mark's earlier point, if you were to take the story, the number of stories of mercy and compassion, yeah, and and the application of those stories to numbers of people, yes, versus yes. the dude that you know catches the ark, Ananias and Sapphira, right, it weighs out that right. way, yeah. yeah, the one or the two that's the outlier, that's the example to right. warn Israel, and right. the one that is lost to save the thousands, you right, know? exactly, yeah. exactly. Yeah. All right, one last one last thing before we let you go, my friend. Um, when we talk about, and you, you, you discussed this a little bit, that's why I want to hit on it. We talk about God being jealous. Yeah. <laughs> so that's a word, it's like anger. You know, it's a word that's very easy to pack in our understandings of what jealous means. So when we talk about God being jealous, what's that, what's that referring to? And how's that good news? Yeah, um, I think it's great news. One, I think it's the jealousy not of an insecure boyfriend who's checking his girlfriend's, you know, phone and text message chain while she's in the shower. Lots of metaphors and similes from, uh, from our friend. I love it. You so know, just, just out of my own life, you know, I'm just, <laughs> just connecting with millennial generation right now. And, you know, 70% of my church is single, you know, I'm just trying to connect, love it. just trying to connect. Yeah. But I don't think it's that kind of a jealousy, a jealousy born out of uh, narcissistic insecurity. I think it's the jealousy. I'm jealous for my children when I see a drug dealer or a kid at school who's just a holy terror or, you know, a teacher or somebody that I feel is not a safe person for them to be around. I'm jealous for them. And I think that's a healthy kind of jealousy. I'm jealous for my wife, even, you know, 15 years into marriage. I'm jealous to keep other lovers out of the bedroom and to keep our marriage together for and passionate and healthy for the long haul. And so I think there's a beauty there 
that God is not apathetic about his relational desire toward you, that he is passionate about it, that your relationship with God is front and center in his agenda for you and for the world. And he's jealous for that relationship and he's willing to fight for it. You know, the worst thing is when you hear about an affair in a marriage and it's tragic and it's disheartening and then the kind of innocent, so to speak, partner in the marriage of which there is no such thing, but the innocent partner is just kind of phlegmatic and doesn't want to fight for the marriage and doesn't want to make it work and doesn't want to work toward healing. And there's all in all of us, I think there's something that is sad over that, you yeah, know, yeah. And I don't think that's what God is like when we're unfaithful to God. I think he's jealous. And I think he doesn't say, well, whatever, I'll just move on and find somebody else and make my own happy life without you. Right. I think he sends, says, no, I want to fight for this in spite of the infidelity, in spite of the brokenness, in spite of the stuff that we have to work through in our relationship. I'm jealous for you. I'm jealous for our relationship. I'm jealous for what it is. And I think the other aspect that I know you guys are really passionate about is technically what it actually says is that he's jealous for his name. Yeah, come on. And I think a huge part you know, that what, what he means there by name is his reputation, what other people think of him. Right. And once again, I don't think that's a like, you know, a PR statement like, you right. know, oh, people don't like me on social media right now or I'm not trending on Twitter. I think what he means there is that who God is and what other people think of God is one of the most important things for the flourishing of humanity as a whole. And so when people who go by the name Christian, follower of Jesus, follower of God, when they abuse the reputation of God by what they say or how they live, and we see this right and left, America is just like, look no further. We're living in the laboratory for what happens when people misinterpret and misrepresent the name and the character and the reputation of God. And the way that turns off people, the way that breaks people out of relationship with God, keeps people back from relationship with God, keeps people from understanding who God actually is and instead gives a gross caricature and misunderstanding and this distorted view of reality yeah. and an end just hinders people from life with God and human flourishing. God is jealous for that. And so he really cares when people misrepresent him. He really cares where people who carry his name don't live up to that name. Not in the sense of you got to be good enough, but there right. is something. There's a family reputation. Like there, it means something yeah. to be an eerie. And if somebody <laughs> misrepresents, and this is maybe a bad analogy, but if somebody right. misrepresents your family name, you care about that. Yeah. And it's not just because you're a selfish jerk that wants everybody to think the Eries are the best thing, you know, right. since whatever. Right. It's because, no, there's something to your family name, and to be an Erie means something. And there are values that you hold and a reputation yeah. that matters. That's Take right. that and multiply to the nth degree yeah. because God's reputation has implications for all of humanity. You know, I think of I think that's really good. I think um, I think of it in terms of if my if my son um, Nate started calling somebody else daddy you know, or father. Yeah. And yeah. Uh, I would be jealous that he would know that, no, no, I've been there the whole time. No one's going to love you like I love you. Especially I, if that guy who was calling father was actually a danger. Yeah, a threat, exactly. A drug exactly. an abusive, whatever, yep. you yep. know? Yeah. So jealousy can, can also be a stand-in concept for zeal or yeah. passion or to keep a relationship intact. That's right. Mm -hmm. That's right. You're yeah. going to, you're the marriage analogy. I'm going to fight for this. Or the Beastie Boys analogy, I'm going to fight for my right to party, um, just to throw that out <laughs> that, there. That too. Okay, mm -hmm. now, um, th there's only one way to end this, and, um, and and it's simply with this question, who who are raised parents in uh, Force Awakens? So when we get when we get episode you know, eight, who are raised parents? You're not going to say? 
You're just shaking I don't know, your head. My working at me? theory was that Jin was going to be her mom. Okay. Pre one, but then Jin had to go and die. She died. Yes. And so my theory died with her. <laughs> <laughs> let me just. And I'm let absolutely me... lost. I don't think it's Luke. I d you can't. No, that's too obvious. Oh, that's too, easy. too obvious. And if we have a you know no Ray, I am your father moment, that's just no, that, too that cheesy. Would be the end. Yeah. Yeah. Um, which I wouldn't put it past. Based on episode seven, I wouldn't put it past the writers. But I don't think that's it. I don't think it's Obi Wan. Um, first off, he would have had to been like right. hundred when he, you know, <laughs> hey. fun. Hey. And I'm not saying I'm but, one with know, the force. You can't and do the that. Force is one with me. Exactly. Maybe the force is like you know old school Viagra or something. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe he made the way. But I, I don't think it's that. So I don't know. I'm gonna, I'm gonna plead the fifth. How many? Do you have a, you have a working theory? Uh, I do not. I I, ha I I love... I don't think she's Kylo Ren's sister. I don't think she's right. Luke's sister. I don't think she's Obi-Wan offspring. But maybe, I don't know. Maybe Han and Leia had twins. No, man, that's that's not <laughs> canon anymore. That's gone. <laughs> I know, I know, I know. How many, no. how many books, Star Wars books have you read, would you say? You know, I haven't read a ton of the books, maybe half a dozen or okay. something like okay. that. And... Mm -hmm. it, and because they wrote all these books, and then when Lucasfilm got bought out, then there they were nothing. Heard all of them non-canon, and mm -hmm. if you've read them, they're they're for the most part just some really terrible literature. Terrible. Set in a really good universe, so I don't feel some drive that I need to go read all of them. Yes. Wow. wow. Uh, oh, go ahead. I was just remembering the one theory I read, and I, I can't fully articulate it. And I think about it, but was that have you um, seen that, all the movies? Yeah. Okay. But that she um she was potentially a Sith. Which related to her fighting skills with Kylo Ren in Episode Seven, her the anger that is huh. like a, a deep part of her history that's more similar to, um, to Vader. But why would Luke's? But, why would Luke's? Yeah, I don't lightsaber know. Lightsaber. Yeah, but I don't get that. See, one yeah, of my know, favorite but... things about Ray, and I'm not even a huge Episode Seven fan, but I think that Kylo and Ray are two of the best new characters in a very long time. Yeah. And one of my favorite things about Ray is she's like the only Jedi that's not angry. She's the huh. only one that doesn't have anger issues. She has slow and, nostrils, long you know, nostrils, long nostrils. Yeah. She's uh, long of nostrils. She's erectopyum. Oh, oh, She's oh, oh. Here's why. Here's why. Here's why I remember why. Okay. It's mainly because of the back end of the score. Because they said the musical score that supported um, Ray throughout the whole movie is the right. same actual chord score through Anakin do, 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 do. in the first do, three do, movies. Do, 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 do. Right. It's, so it's like the actual <laughs> backbone of the theme that it like is setting up Ray is the same um, audio theme that played in the first three movies that supported Anakin. So oh. that that was the observation of, of the potential was that the tension being presented through the musical score was giving a foreshadow to to what would become. So well, I, I thought that was fascinating. Well, isn't there and and John Mark, you would know better, but it wasn't isn't there um, in the prior expanded universe of Star Wars. Han and Leia had two kids. And, yeah, twins. And, yep, and one one was good, one was bad, and then they flipped and fought. So one got one went from dark side to light side, one went from light side to dark side, and that led to an epic showdown. And so, so is this the story of Kylo's redemption and Rey's fall? Right. Um, I just, I sure. First off, I hope not. Although, I mean, there's a long-running theory that says that Luke was supposed to turn evil at the end of Return of the Jedi, right? And that Lucasfilm and Lucas finally sold out because that wouldn't sell toys and blah blah blah. So there's a long-running theory 
that in the Return of the Jedi, Luke was supposed to go over to the dark side. Uh, I don't think it's right, but there's a lot of really smart people out there that think so. So possibly with Rey, but I just don't think Kylo's coming back. He, he, he killed his father. You don't come back from that. That was a defining moment. I think it's one of the best moments in the movie. And I, I don't think you come back from that, you know? Mm. Oh, man. All right. I, I think you do. I think that, I think you absolutely do. He was... He was conflicted. He had to he had to call out to Snoke for help and call out to the the mask of Vader to get you know I failed you. Oh. I know what I need to do. I just don't know if I have the strength to do it. Yes, yeah. yes. No, I think he is turned over to the dark side. He's oh, gone. This is gonna okay. be good. And now, I think he's one of the best bad guys ever. Oh, he's just tantrums, conflicted, angry, and out of control, and um. So I want you to notice, however, John Mark speaks with equal articulation about the Bible and about Star Wars, and yeah. um, and that there, there's no contradiction there between them. I think that is beautiful, my friend. Um, thank you. I have this person who posts on my Instagram account. Anytime I post anything that's not blatantly about Jesus, this person just posts, what does this have to do with Jesus? <laughs> so last time, Every time. <laughs> I put up a Star Wars thing, oh. and she just said, what does this have to do with Jesus? And I thought, isn't that obvious? Yeah. Isn't this so crystal clear what right. this has to do with Jesus? Yes. <laughs> if Jesus had an Instagram feed, you'd know he would post The Last Jedi. How oh good goodness. of a title is that, by the that's, way? That's Can we amazing. agree? Yes. Yeah. That's an incredible title. Right. That's an incredible title. Right. Um, uh, I, I love that in every church, no matter how hip, no matter how cool, there is that person. There is the, the, uh, the scorekeeper, the what's this have to do with Jesus uh, yeah, just, person. Can, can some people just, like, just take a Xanax and chill, you know? Just, <laughs> it's okay. So, John Mark, uh, recently returned from South Africa, jet-lagged and sick. We are grateful for your time. Yeah, um, you're going to be down in on. Orange County, right? You're teaching, yeah. you're teaching in this extended series uh, called yeah, the way. Week. Tell us, yeah. Tell us a little bit about that. Well, give us the date. Yeah. Uh, next Thursday night. So that would be, gosh, what the 20, let me look at my calendar here. The 30th next okay. Thursday night. It's at Vanguard university. Yeah. I've been coming down once a month just for winter. I think five times or something yep. doing teaching around, Apprenticeship to Jesus and spiritual formation, specifically around the question how we change, how we grow and mature, how we're transformed to become like Jesus and our real true self and just beating up on a lot of the myths and misconceptions in the church and in the Western European world around change and around transformation. And you're actually doing next month. I am. Because I can't come next month. So. Oh, I heard it was, I heard it was just a correct um, <laughs> Yeah, just to kind of Just kind balance, of clean it up a little bit. It. No, yeah, exactly. <laughs> Mine's just too boring. We need some, some life, some laughter, some, no. something in there. Oh, yeah, no. doing Thursday, the 30th. Love to have you out. And then, Mike, you're doing the month after that. Yep, and April. We have one in May, and then we're done. Um, name of the church in Portland is? Bridgetown Church. And um, the website? Bridgetown.church. There you go. Dot church? Yep. Yeah. Wow, there's a dot church out there? Yeah, you there's can a do dot that church. now. Whoa. And then do you have your own website? I do. What is it? It's just my name, johnmarkcomer.com. Not nice. .comer, unfortunately. <laughs> oh, boy. I should have oh, thought of that, yeah. johnmark.comer. Yes. But 
Yes. Right now. My friend, thank you for joining us today. Uh, appreciate you. Say hello to Tammy and the kids. Have Thanks, a great man. day. What are you going to do right now at 11.07? Where are you going right now? This I'm going to try to wrap up my teaching. And okay. then tonight, we um, I have to be done by 3, which is earlier than normal, because this afternoon we're doing pretty cool, big meeting. We're renting out the Aladdin Theater, which is like one of the kind of um, indie venues in town, 600 seats. And we're doing this meeting with kind of the church in Portland and all the key government leaders. So oh, myself, cool. Kevin Palau, Rick McKinley, some other key pastors are hosting. The mayor will be there, all the city commissioners, head of police, like kind of all the who's who. Of, I believe actually the governor of Oregon will actually be there. And we're going to have a forum. This is the first of several of these we'll do. And we're going to specifically talk around foster care and homelessness. Come on. And basically the church just asking, how can we help the city in foster care and in homelessness. So yeah, followers of Jesus and government officials in an indie rock venue talking about justice. And I was just going to have pizza and and watch March Madness tonight. So that's that's a slightly more epic. And we'll watch Star Wars again. (laughs) Rogue One comes out this week on on Blu-ray, right? Uh, It should. I I, I was hoping it it, it came out the same day as your book. I mean, that would have, God has a name. Sign of God's favor. Yes, <laughs> exactly. You know, I'm I'm thinking about writing a book on Star Wars. Of course, oh, you should. Of course, you are. I'm dead serious, and I can't I can't tell you more because it's it's shrouded in secrecy. But I'm <laughs> begun. The book writing has. Um, uh, it's Clone Wars reference right yeah. there. All right, John Mark, you rock. Love you, dude. Thanks, bud. Love you too. All right, see you later, my friend. So there you go, Andy. What'd you think of that? Oh, that was fantastic. That was so, a great time. So yeah, it, it's yeah, the books. You know, birth the the birth the book <laughs> is worth. That's what I was going for. The birth worth of that book. The book of worth is uh, worth picking up, and um, uh, you know, he's just a guy that I've I've you know uh, done ministry with, and and is just a dear friend, and is into all kinds of cool stuff. And so anyway, guy, definitely, we want you to know. Um, uh, and if you want to find their pod podcast, it's just Bridgetown podcast on, uh, on iTunes. Um, and, uh, anyway, so check him out. All of his information obviously was there towards the end. Anything you want to add to this, Andy bear? Uh, not today. Not today. I will plead the fifth. Okay. (laughs) Andy (laughs) has long nostrils. I do think I, however, do think I loved that Ray theory. I mean, that, that's good writing narrative theory. I mean, if we're talking about an audio score that specifically looks back, I mean, that's that would be a very big miss on coincidence because that would be incredibly misleading because audio and score is a very strong way to help dictate foreshadowing and story. So, I mean, whoever picked up on that, I mean, that's smart. That's yeah. not just like, a oh, that was an interesting observation. That's like, whoa, right. that, I think that's a pretty big deal. That's a pretty big deal. Uh, so we're fans of big deals. We are big deals, uh, although I'm a smaller deal. Um, <laughs> if uh, <laughs> So anyway, my brothers and my sisters, um, we are so grateful for you. We're so grateful to be a part of your life. We're so grateful to hear from you, and um, we're so grateful uh, that God allows us the space to, to do this. Thank you for putting up with all of our nonsense. Uh, we'd love to hear from you, so please let us know how you're doing, and where you live and where you're listening from. Um, but as always, we want to close with a, with a bit of a blessing. Um, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord shine his face upon you and be gracious to you. 
May the Lord lift up his countenance to you and may he give you peace in these crazy, crazy days. Amen. Amen. And may the force be with you. And may the force be with you. Hey, thanks for listening to the Vox Podcast. Learn more about us at voxpodcast.com. Follow us on Twitter at the Vox Podcast. And now support us on Patreon at patreon.com slash voxpodcast.